We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. He turns. He fires for the win. He's got the bucket at the buzzer. Weather back to Bibby. Has the open shot. Ladies and gentlemen, up on those feet, put those hands together. And we'll meet tonight starting five for your Sacramento Kings. Welcome to the Kings Beat Podcast. I am James Ham, your Kings Insider for ESPN 1320 and the Kings Beat. Joining me, Mr. Brendan Nunez, on location in Southern California, where he's going to go to one of the final two games of the season when the Kings take on the Clippers on Saturday night. Brendan Nunez from the Kings Herald and the Kings Pulse podcast. Brendan, what's going on? Not too much, James. Deep in enemy territory. I just couldn't miss one of the most exciting games of the season. (laughs) Had to make the trip. Uh, is there a possibility that Kawhi makes an appearance? Like, we're kind of hearing that it's possible that Kawhi comes back. I am not sure. I'm there for Davion Mitchell and Damian Jones. All right. Kawhi All right. Leonard does nothing for me. <laughs> <laughs> there for the good basketball. You're there for the good basketball. You're there for off night and, and DJ. Yeah. Uh, yeah, spectacular, spectacular. Uh, okay, so let's just hit the basics. Uh, number one, if you're watching on YouTube, go down below and hit the subscribe button and give us a thumbs up. Uh, that helps us. Uh, number two, if you are listening on any other platform, Apple, Spotify, whatever it might be, uh, give us a rating and review, subscribe. Uh, give us, you know, like a, a nice five star if you got it in you. Uh, let's see, outside of that, um, I haven't opened any promo codes up for the Kings uh, Beat Merch Shop yet, but I probably will as we go through the month. Um, and then I'll, I'll let you guys know here. Um, but watch for that, especially if you're a subscriber to the Kings Beat. Jump on board with the Kings Beat because we are going to have a happy hour. Um, I don't think it's going to be next week. It's going to be the week after. I think we're going to do. Um, I don't know what that date is, the 21st or something like that. Uh, I want to give as many people as possible an opportunity to jump on board. Maybe we can shift it to a Saturday for once. So some people who uh, have to work and are overseas can actually take part. I don't know. We'll figure it out. But uh, we'll get a guest. 
which I have not announced yet. Um, and we'll kind of hit the ground running with the happy hour. And that is for premium subscribers only. Um, let's get to the, the, the Kings have two games left in the season, Brendan. You talked about it, uh, that you're there for the Davion Mitchell, uh, Damian, uh, Damian Jones show. Um, but I mean, two games left. They actually have a, a one game buffer in the, uh, in the chase for the seventh worst record in the league, which means they can actually win one of these games and not hurt themselves. Just, uh, what are you looking for in these final two games? Um, to be entertained, hopefully. I don't know how much there is to still gauge at this point. Like, Dante DiVincenzo's value probably won't fluctuate all too much based on these two games. I do want to see kind of Davion Mitchell have a little bit of a bounce back, I guess, in these two games, because in the previous two, he slowed down a little bit. And when we asked Alvin about it, he was just saying, you know, look, he's been asked to do a lot. He's guarding the best guy on the other end of the floor, and he's asked to get 20 and 10 a night, which is just a lot to ask out of somebody he played, I want to say right around 40 minutes um, in the last game. So I guess continuing to see that pairing of Davion Mitchell and Damian Jones and how their two-man synergy grows. But, you know, actually, I've lost over it. There is one thing. Namiyash Keita. That's all I got. Oh. That's, all right. That would be what I'm most excited to watch that would be actually something new. Nemi time. It is. Uh, it's been yeah, time. Yeah, it has been Nemi time. Um, yeah, like... I, I, I do correspond with the good people of Portugal. Um, they are upset, <laughs> and rightfully so. Um, uh, we we talked about this on the last pod. I don't get it. Like he needs to be on the court, and he needs playing time. And and it's not because he's going to change the outcome of the game. Um, he could change the outcome of the game, but not in a positive way. I mean, I, I think that that's he's just green. He needs time to figure out the speed of the game and everything else. And I, I just, this is one of those head scratchers where you had no young players on the roster. I know the Kings really like him. I hear it all the time that they really like him. They think he's got a ton of potential. And uh, and they're looking forward to an offseason with him where they're really working with him and, and getting him in even better shape. I don't, And that's one thing I think I mentioned on the last pod. His body transformation just during this season has been crazy. I mean, he looks so much more athletic and uh, just like he's not dragging around his lower half. He looks like he can take another gigantic step forward, and I'm here for it. I like it. I like what we're seeing out of him. Uh, and I just I need to see more than 10 minutes, and I, I don't understand what the holdup is. When he's out there, what are you hoping to see from him? Okay, uh, that's a good question. So when he's out there, um, like the first time he got burned here down the stretch, he was a step slow to everything. So he wasn't boxing out his man in time, and he would turn around, and all of a sudden there's a wall in front of him. Um, I want to see him just catch up because I've seen him do those things, and I know he can do it. Uh, what I would like to see is like maybe run three or four plays for him. Maybe get him in the pick and roll and actually find him in the pick and roll. Uh, I, I think the Kings have a little bit of an issue that they don't have a natural distributor in the pick and roll yet. Davion has gotten better, uh, but he's still not like a true lob man. 
not the way that like Tyrese Halliburton was a lob man. So I think if you had uh, if you had Halliburton on this roster, you would see Kata get four or five easy buckets, and these other guys have to figure out how to get Kata those four or five easy buckets. Um, and outside of that, I, you know, he rebounded pretty well for per minute. I know he ended up with what five rebounds in 10 minutes and Damian Jones ended up with, uh, four in like 30. That's a problem. Um, but overall, the other thing I, I, I want to see is like, I, I don't get what Alvin, why not? Like, why are we watching a, this, this weird Trey Lyles, Chemezi Metu lineup? Like, that's just not going to be a thing. Like, I don't understand what you're doing there. Like, you're looking at two guys that I think one of which will be on the roster. Like, it's it's probably going to be a coin flip or maybe not. Uh, maybe they already know. But, uh, you know, I don't think both players will be on the roster next year. And if they are, um, you're not looking at them as two of the top 10 rotational pieces. You're looking at them as two of 15 um, but not top, not eight or nine rotational pieces. So yeah, I, I think it's, it's interesting. I, I just don't get what Alvin's doing there. And that's the, you know, again, I think Alvin's done a, a good job of keeping the ship like moving in the second half of the season while like this thing completely spun out and then you made a bunch of changes and all that stuff. Like this is why you had Alvin Gentry here because he's a veteran hand that can like, guide this thing to the finish line uh as opposed to going with someone like Doug who you know you might have seen more games completely fall out of control and you know 30 point losses and stuff and that's just bad for for everybody involved including Doug that would you know that's not a knock on Doug it's just you know he had 17 games experience uh when Luke Walton was fired as an assistant and so you'd like to see him get more time so yeah um Kata I think that's it. I, I want to see Kata. That's probably Davion and Kata, and that's it. Yeah, I'm pretty much the same. And when it comes to like what I'm watching for with Demiash is, I think, um, like you said, getting him actually as the role man and involved in an action that way, I think would be interesting. And I want to see some of his decision-making because I think that the passing that he has isn't phenomenal, but I think it's good for a big man. And I think good passing from bigs really opens up and expands your offense. Like we've seen it with Domas with Sabonis and obviously he's not that caliber, but when he's in the pick and roll and the weak side man comes over when Namiash gets the ball, can he hit that guy in the corner and make some short roll decision-making or even, you know, have some guys cutting when Namiash has the ball at the elbow and, and see if he can make some nice bounce passes to guys cutting back door or anything like that. Um, so I, I think I would like to kind of play around with it on offense and I see why it's probably going to be not the most successful, but at this point in the season, does it really matter? And then defensively, it's just being in, it's just rim protection for me. I'm not some of the pick and roll coverage. Like I think that there was a time in, in last game where I think he actually ended up getting bailed out by an offensive foul, but um, he's kind of like in a drop and ends up turning his hips pretty early on rather than backtracking quick enough or just being in the right spot and protecting the rim. Because to me, that's kind of going to be one of the most important things for Namiish. And like you said, he's just kind of like a little bit of a step slow, which is to be expected at this point. 
but more reps is just going to help those opportunities and get him a better understanding of that. Yeah. You mentioned the hips, the hips thing. And that's what I've noticed that, um, it's, it's a little bit of footwork and it's a lot hips. So like I, I saw him, uh, sort of splash out on a perimeter jump shooter. And, uh, again, his hips, he flared too much with his hips and opened himself up to get beat. Um, and then it was like shake, shake, and he's all off balance and he recovered to make like a, like a, a swipe at it in the air. Uh, but at the same time, that's a speed of the game issue, in my opinion. Like uh, he's, he's just like too fast, too slow, too slow, too fast. You know, he's never quite finding the right speed. And I think there was one game this season where he stepped on the court and, and really showed us that he can do a lot of these things. Um, and you talk about his passing ability. I've actually seen a lot from his passing ability. And, you know, I'll, I'll remind people when Bam Adebayo was coming into the league, like everyone thought he could pass, but no one knew that he if he could pass or not because he had never passed. And, you know, so like at Kentucky, like De'Aaron will even tell you, well, he wasn't this type of passer at Kentucky. This He couldn't do this stuff at Kentucky. So when you're looking at passing ability, it's about the way that you can see how a player views the court more than it is about whether he can make a bounce pass or he can go, you know, he can do a, a DHO, dribble handoff, you know. Uh, the, the things that you're looking for are his vision of the court. And it's something that I always talked about with Tyreek Evans. Tyreek Evans, for a guy who is a lead guard with, you know, with major assist skills, had a very narrow field of vision. He only saw what was in front of him. So if somehow his body tilted one way, he could possibly see someone in the corner. But if his body never tilted that way, he didn't ever see the person in the corner. I think that the thing with Keita is he does see the court really well. And so we're going to see that if he can see the court well, then it's, can he make the pass? And I think he can make the pass. So I think he's actually a a lot more similar to Domas than he is any other, of the other bigs that the Kings have brought in this year, which is like, you know, 73 bigs. Um, and the Kings have played 26 men this year, which is crazy. Like, I mean, we you forget that. Like some, like, Emmanuel uh, Moutier was on this team, James. Emmanuel Moutier was on this team. <laughs> was it Justin Robinson? Yeah. Um, yeah. 10 days and a day murky was the other 10 day, yeah. right? Yeah, a day actually played. Um, yeah, so so when it comes to Kata, I'm going to point out one other thing here. And, uh, and it's that his teammates, I think, would love to pass him the ball. But the fact is that he's so good at screening that he opens up so much for them that they're like, okay, I would like to pass you the ball, but like, you're just like, like a big rig here. You just like cleared a, a path for me. Like I can go do whatever. And Jeremy Lamb goes, okay, I'll go throw up some awkward floater and then get my own rebound and you won't get the, the screen assist, but I'll just keep getting the rebound and then finally put it in. And that way I've got, you know, five rebounds on the night. Um, yeah, so like, I, I think there is a problem there that I think some of these guys are like, we've never seen this before. Like, what is happening here? How is it that he sets a screen? And he, I think I saw him, he got called for one offensive, uh, like one offensive foul. 
And it was a weird one, like way off ball. Like, I, like I don't even. It wasn't even him setting a screen. I don't even know what they were calling. So that tells me that like in Damian Jones gets called for for screen fouls all the time, like offensive fouls all the time, like almost once a game. That's not what we're seeing from Kada. Kada has this ability to see the guy and then move a little bit and like, okay, I'll adjust my screen. Come on, come to me. And he brings his guard to him or his perimeter player and clears out a massive amount of space. And he sometimes he clears out two guys. And then when he rolls, it's just like a gigantic man rolling to the rim. He's a huge dude. He's, I mean, he's as big or bigger. Well, I know he's taller, but like just in size wise, he's big as big or bigger than Sabonis. And so I, th- I think that that's a, a big deal. And we did not plan on spending like eight minutes on, uh, on Nemi. Uh, but you know, sometimes you got to, right? You have so. to. And I think that screening thing just as a final point is very much about chemistry. You know, like the Kings haven't had a big man that sets screens like that. And I think Domas does similarly. And I, I think there's a benefit to guys like Davion or Dante getting used to what it looks like when you actually come off a screen and have space and then how to go about it from there. And also just understanding what is the best angle to take off this screen when I am working with Namiish. And it'll be a little bit different with uh, Sabonis, but I, I think that there's so much chemistry involved in that two-man game and screen setting that, again, more reps will just be beneficial. All right, as always, this segment of the podcast is brought to you by Ricardo Brito Reyes, our pissed friend in Portugal. Um, yeah, he, he uh, we've gone back and forth here and there. Um, and, like, I, I just tell the people in Portugal this. Alvin Gentry is not making all of these decisions on his own. These are what are called franchise decisions about who's playing and who's not. So if a new coach is here and Namias Keita's back and Damian Jones is back next season and DeMontis Sabonis is back, Namias Keita is going to have a very, very difficult time getting on the court. Um, that's just the way it goes for a young player who's a second-round pick who's trying to fight his way into the league. Don't take it personal. Don't blame it all on the coach because a coach is... Yes, they they put guys in and pull them out. But at the NBA level, there is a lot of communication between the front office and the coaching staff. And there are other dynamics in play, like free agency, um, things like, uh, like how much a player is going to make during the offseason and how you can limit that. There are things like keeping one player happy or keeping one player's value higher so you can trade them. Like, there are a lot of things. So if Rashawn Holmes wouldn't have stepped away from the team, Rashawn Holmes would be playing major minutes here because the Kings needed to try to keep his value up. At this point, like, that's all out the window. Who the heck? Like, we have no idea what's going to happen with Rashawn Holmes. Uh, like, that that's a whole other situation. But, like, there's nuances to this, and I know... a. I, I bring this stuff up because a lot of people in Portugal, this is your first adventure with not the NBA, because I, I think people around the globe watch the NBA all the time, right? Uh, like there, there are probably a ton of people in Portugal who have been watching NBA basketball for a long time, but you're not watching 
NBA basketball with this specific thing in mind, that you're dealing with a young second-round pick, big man, that a team is bringing along, that they're going to bounce back and forth between the G League. Like, this is a very specific, nuanced situation. So if you're an NBA fan, it doesn't mean that you'd ever looked for something like this before. Chances are you're watching stars. You're watching the big guys play, or you might have a favorite player that you like to watch on a specific team, and you're watching that, or you're watching one team and seeing how many wins they can get. You know, if you're you're a Bucks fan, or if you're a Bulls fan, or whatever it might be. So my point is that if you're a lifer NBA person, and you've been doing this for a long time or watching for a long time, you might have seen the way that a player like this gets handled in his first season and in his second season. But not a lot of people have done that. And and I'm assuming that not a lot of people in Portugal have sat here and studied how a G League player, how a two-way contract player gets used and bounces back and forth between uh, the the parent club and the, the G League situation. So... Does that make sense, Brennan? It definitely does. And I think that all of those behind the scenes, other incentives and reasonings behind rotations, especially apply to another player on Sacramento's current roster in Dante DiVincenzo. Yeah, Dante DiVincenzo. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Yeah, Brennan, you know, like... uh, DiVincenzo, he grows on you. Uh, he does. He grows on you. You're like, oh, I don't know if I like what he's doing. Uh, okay, I kind of like what he's doing. And then, oh, I wish he hit the three better. Mm, okay, he's in the three better. Uh, I wish he did this better. Mm, he can do that. I don't know. There's, like, I, I want to exp- – I wish there was more than, like, a 20 20- – what is it? Twenty-five game sample size of Dante Divincenzo. I don't even know what it is. Twenty-three. It's gonna be twenty-three total. Okay, so uh, twenty-five okay. games. Total. Twenty-three so far. 25. Yeah, so twenty-five total. Yeah. So like, I, I look at this and I'm like, okay, I, I need more than twenty-five games, and the Kings don't have more than twenty-five games, and so we're gonna dive. Okay, so here's the deal. Um, hang on one sec. Never mind. I'm I'm ready to go. Um, when, uh, we get to an end of the season like this, we're going to, we're going to do something different. And that means that every week, every podcast episode, which is twice a week, we're going to take on one of the Kings players and we're going to break them down and we're going to figure out how we want to like, like whether we would like resign them or bring them back, whether how we fit, we see them fit next year. Uh, if they do fit or they don't fit, we're, we're, so we're going to break down one player. And, and this episode, I, I think the biggest, like, Probably the biggest question mark is Dante DiVincenzo because there's salary questions. There's all kinds of questions that uh, we're going to have to figure out with him and player comps and like, is he a starter? Is he not a starter? And so, so Brendan, let's start there. Um, We'll get into sort of the contract stuff in a minute, but are there player comps that, that you look at and you say, okay, this is, this is who Dante kind of reminds me of, or this is where I think the Kings could go with his dollar amount, or this is what he could make in, in restricted free agency. It's tough. Like you said, um, Dante has a lot of moments. I had a friend, I have a friend that I still have, didn't had, um, still have this friend who does not like Dante. Right. And every time that 
Dante does something bad, loves to point it out. And, you know, when you have somebody like that, it makes you realize the bad moments even more because every time they happen, I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to hear about this one because I guess I'm a Dante defender, I guess you would say. I have, uh, I have a friend <laughs> like this who sits next to me, and we each have a player that we, <laughs> we point out things to, yes. and his name is Sean Cunningham. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Dante's, I've said this before, his bad moments are really loud, but he does a lot of small quiet things correct on a nightly basis um but he's a hard gauge because sometimes when shots aren't falling it looks really bad out there he takes some tough shot attempts so i did pull up a wide variety of guys that i feel like are three and d wings or guards kind of two three guards and some of their dollar values and contracts that they're on um was randomly okay, watching it was go ahead Let, let's do this let's just make sure so people know uh, with the sacramento kings in 23 games dante divincenzo is averaging 26.8 minutes per game slightly under 27 he's averaging 10 points 3.6 uh assists 4.4 rebounds which i thought is a little low and 1.5 steals he's shooting 35.8 percent from three which i'm okay with if that's consistent and he can actually sustain that I'd like it to be a little bit higher, more like 38 to 40, but that's okay. Uh, overall shooting, 35.5% from the field. He's shooting higher from three-point than he is from the uh, the field, which is slightly alarming, but also gives you a path for something he can work on during the summer. His um, finishing so is atrocious. His finishing is atrocious. And then uh, just, for, um, just so people understand, too— uh, his per 36, so if he was a starting shooting guard, and we're, I mean, I don't know why do, we do per 36 now because no one actually plays 36 minutes a night. Um, 13.6 points, 3.8 assists, 7.1 rebounds, 1.7 steals, and that's for his career. Um, just so people have some sort of understanding of the player we're looking at. Now go. What do you got? Yeah, and, he, and he played 66 games last season for the Bucks and started every single one of them. Team that eventually won the championship. He was only a part of yeah. one I guess you say two, he, he got injured in the second game of their first round playoff matchup. So he wasn't part of the playoffs, but still starting 66 games for the Milwaukee Bucks is certainly not nothing. And on that three point percentage, by the way, 23 games played this year, 4.5 of his 5.8 per game have come off the catch and he's hitting 41% off the catch. And then the 1.3 per game that are pull-ups, 16.7%. Yeah. Definitely C. What does that tell you? Let, let's do quick analysis. What does that tell you? That he should play with other high-usage guys? That tells me that he probably should be starting alongside Sabonis and De'Aaron Fox. Yep. Because and that's where he's going to get those opportunities versus trying to be a primary scorer off the bench and being a guy that hoists shots in you know off the, off the bounce, like who's trying to create for himself and others. Go ahead. Totally. And 129 of his minutes came with Fox and Domas, both of those guys on the floor at the same time with him. And then 275 that he played came with only one or none of them. So I definitely am with you. I'd want to see more reps um, with that and kind of what we've been saying since he got here. And it's kind of baffling that Justin Holiday has been starting over him. Oh, Brendan has gone quiet on us. 
Do we lose Brendan? No audio. See if we can get him back. Um, yeah, give me a test there, Brennan. Come back to us. Test, test. Hello. There you are. Test, test. Sweet. Okay. Yeah, you're back. Sorry about that. That's okay. All right. This is the in a different location situation going on. Um, that happens. All right. A couple names I pulled up that I feel like are comparable for Dante, and there's a decent range of salaries here. Um, Kentavious Caldwell-Pope. I think it's interesting. Was a starter on the Lakers, but fourth, fifth starter, similar situation. He signed a three-year, $39 million deal. So $13 million a year. Um, and I'm going to go through a couple names. Feel free to stop me at any point. Um, Actually, I, let's, let's just for two seconds. The three-year 39 was inflated because the Lakers just handed out money that offseason. Um, but go ahead. Yeah, because okay. I, I don't think he should have been a three-year 39. Yeah. Josh Hart, who I think is better than Dante, but also somewhat comparable. Um, you know, both Nova guys that do a little bit of everything on the floor. And Josh Hart made three years, $37.9 million. So just under that $13 million a year mark as well. Um, Josh Richardson, I thought was an interesting one. That's a decent comparison. Again, a 3 and D guy. And I would also say that Dante does the passing and rebounding a little bit better, but isn't as consistent of a shooter as Josh Richardson has been Josh Richardson, um, four years, 42 million, which I think was viewed as an overpay to be fair, about 10 million a year there. Danny green, um, which Danny green is, you know what Danny green is at this point in his career and Dante, you're still kind of figuring it out, but I think similar roles, uh, Danny green, two years, 20 million. Alex Caruso got, I think, underpaid, but, and I think there was, yeah, definitely should have stuck with the Lakers, but four years, 36.9 million. It's about 8.5 million a year. I personally, I feel like most people would take Caruso over DiVincenzo. Hmm. Okay. Keep going. Seth Curry, four years, 32 million. Also underpaid in my mind. Four years, 32? Yeah. Crazy, right? Dang. I was shocked yeah. when I put well, that one up, too. At like, Seth was in Sacramento, and, like, I, I don't know. I should actually look at his numbers, but I'm, I'm going to guarantee you that, um, like, Seth is always hurt by the fact that he's always hurt. Um, mm. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, he played 63 games, uh 57, 64, 74, 70. Um, yeah, in Sacramento, every time he got an opportunity, he would stub his toe and, and couldn't play. Like, I, he would have been starter at, at one point because they had no one else. And he tripped in his house and rolled his ankle, I think. Yeah, mm. on uh, on game day. Like, oh, he's out. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Justin Holiday's on the Kings. Three years, 18 million, 6 million a year. I think we like Dante better, but I think it's worth throwing his number out there. And then another one that I don't think, like Marcus Smart is a better player, but I'm throwing this number out there because, yeah, I think Marcus is clearly better, so therefore should get paid more than Dante in my mind. But Marcus is only making four years, 51.2 million. 
it's about 12 million a year there so hmm. it's interesting you know there's a wide range of talent in the guys that i just laid out but you're talking anywhere from justin holiday was the clear lowest at that six million a year but anywhere from like eight to 12 million and if you threw dante's name in that group i don't know that he would stand out as at the bottom he certainly isn't at the top it's weird there's a wide range of guys in this range you know i like i gotta be honest with you when when we decided to do this exercise brennan took the the, the player comps i don't think i could have come up with any player comps <laughs> I, and i'm a guy who watches guys like when it comes to draft i can watch body motion and the way guys like their fluidity the way their hips move um, and I can make comparisons to players almost instantly. Like I, it's, it's one of those things I've been covering the draft for so long that again, when I see Keegan Murray, I see the, not the produ- productivity, just the body motion, the, the, the skill set, stuff like that of Marvin Williams. Like instantly I see it and I'm like, every time I watch him now, it's like, okay, yeah, it further like makes me think of him. Um, and so when I was looking at DiVincenzo, I was like, man, this might be one of the toughest things to come up with. And you came up with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven names, six. I have even more than I didn't list, but eight, yes. eight, eight names. And, and I'm, I think, I'm shocked. <laughs> I think okay. the best comparisons, because some of them have substantial differences. I think of KCP, who was again, yep. three years, 39 million. And there is the caveat that you said, obviously, I think Lakers overpaid him. Um, I do think Josh Hart is interesting because I think, again, guys that do everything, I think Hart is better. Um, but that's three years, 37. And then Josh Richardson is the other one that's really interesting to me. Four years, 42 million, which I think the league probably views as a little bit of an overplay, overpay. Boston pretty much just dumped him. Uh, not dumped him, but he was the matching salary in a deal that he... It's not viewed as much of an asset on that contract. And I still think he's a somewhat productive player. But those are the guys that stand out to me. And that's $13 million a year, $12 million a year, $10 million a year for for those guys. Okay. Yeah. I, first of all, I'm really surprised that Marcus Smart only makes four-year 51. Is that what you said? Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah, that's, that's really, really low. Um, yeah. So uh, outside of that, like... I think you're right. Like I'm looking at the players that you mentioned, even, even Caruso, uh, you know, and most of these deals, um, are right around the mid-level exception. Um, so like that's going to start, it's like 9.7. You're, you're basically looking at like a four year, $44 million contract for, for the mid-level. Uh, I do know that his, uh, that he's turned down less money. Then this, like, he turned down, at, like, I think it was a three-year 24 or a four-year 32 or four-year, like, 35, 36, something like that. He turned that down with the Bucks uh, because he thought that he would be able to make more on the open market once things happen. Um, and then, of course, injuries and everything else kind of slow you down, and, and you never quite know. Plus, uh, the fact is the Bucks. Uh, while he was on the Bucks, they had every reason to limit what he was going to do. So he he was out for a good portion of the early season, but when he did come back, he did not step back into a starting role. 
And again, like the Bucks had an opportunity to limit his his value. Um, I will tell you this, Brennan. Uh, DiVincenzo and his group, his team, are not at all happy with the Sacramento Kings. Um, they believe that the Kings very specifically did not start him down the stretch of the season to limit his value in free agency. And that's going to be something that they're going to have not only limited, really limit the amount of money he's going to make coming up. So he's a restricted free agent. We talked about this a little bit. And as a restricted free agent, um, you know, he has a, a qualifying offer of, of uh, $6.6 million, right? Now, um, we're talking about a player that started 66 games last season. And we'll kind of, I'm going to give a quick refresher course here, and we'll look at these player comps a little heavier. Um, but uh, $6.6 million qualifying offer People remember we had the whole Marvin Bagley situation where his qualifying offer was like $11.3 million. And if he uh, he did something like start a combined 82 games, so if he averages 41 starts uh, a season or 2,000 minutes a season, he fits into what's called the starter criteria. If he doesn't, then if he's one of the top 14 picks – his qualifying offer drops to that of the 15th pick in the, his in his draft. So his qualifying offer would have dropped to like 6.6, 6.7 million, right? So, and that's actually, it happened. So Marvin Bagley, it does not have an 11 point something million dollar qualifying offer, which means that if you extend a qualifying offer, player could just go, yeah, I'll just take that 11 million bucks. That's fine. And then play for one year and they're unrestricted at the end of the year. They still have their, uh, their bird rights, um, but again, they they now are playing out the final year of their contract with you, where you have the ability to match. Now, Divincenzo's qualifying offer is six point six million. If he would have started a few more games with the, with the Kings, he as of right now is at sixty eight starts on the season. He needed fourteen more starts. I mean, sixty six, sixty eight starts over the last two seasons. If he would have started fourteen more games. That would have bumped him up to the starter criteria. And now because he was outside of the top 14, he was a 17th pick in the draft. If you're one of those players from 15 to the end of the draft, if you somehow reach the starter criteria, then you now get the qualifying offer of the ninth pick in the draft, which is Kevin Knox in that in that draft. And his qualifying offer would go up to $7.9 million. I don't think this plays a lot into the Kings' decision-making um, but I will point out that this was another situation of what we call the starter criteria. And so I, I think it's an interesting, you know, discussion to add to it because there is a way that he would have made more money. I, I don't think the Kings believe they're going to get Dante DiVincenzo for $6.6 million. Um, and I also think that they probably know that they would like him at $8 million, but they're probably going to have to clo- go closer to the mid-level exem- uh, exemption because if he gets there are not a lot of teams with cap space this season, but there are a lot of teams with MLEs with mid levels. So they, his team believes that he'll be able to get an MLE from somebody and the Kings probably are hoping that he won't. And they'll be able to go a little bit lower. Um, But again, what are we creating here? We're creating a situation where you have an unhappy player who might be forced to take an unhappy contract and who might not, 
like realistically, like be on board. Like we could see a situation where DiVincenzo makes it widely known that he does not want to return to the Sacramento Kings. And to be honest with you, that's 100% on the Kings. Like I get what they're trying to do to limit his value, but at the same time, like what's the end game here? Like if he's going to be your starter next year, that's one thing. If you're not sold that he's your starter next year and you're trying to limit his his uh, sort of touches with the first team so you can literally like not set up some situation where he just expects to be the starter and then somehow you go out and get a better player and now that's your starter during the offseason, I mean, I think that's possibility. Davion Mitchell could be the starter next season. So I, I think that there are other reasons why the Kings have done what they've done. But at the same time, I, I still would have liked to have seen him play major, 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 major minutes alongside De'Aaron Fox and DeMontis Sabonis to see if he does fit and see if he can be more like a 14-point-a-game guy that does a bunch of like jack-of-all-trade uh, jack stuff um, as opposed to a 10-point-a-game guy who shooting percentages are really low because he's trying to create as a, you know, a primary scorer off the bench. Yeah, I think that since Aaron Fox and DeMontis Savonis went down, I understand Dante is your backup point guard. But prior to that, there was... Dante DiVincenzo could be the starting two next season. Justin Holiday's not going to be. I mean, if he is, something has gone wrong. Justin Holiday should not be your starting two. And If he is, you're a 30-1 team again. Right. I'm at, it's just, it is what it is. He's 33 years old. He should not be your starting shooting guard next season. Yeah. And that's where I get lost because I don't understand the, like, like you said, I'm scared of a situation where you just got rid of the two players that didn't want to be here that seem to be creating a tense environment at times. And why risk creating another situation like for what you know like you didn't have a different starter that like it's not like you were gauging Justin Holiday in my mind or at least you didn't need to for as long as you did if you were on how he fit um and you're doing this for the sake of a couple million dollars like it's not I know that's not nothing you know what I mean but it's not like we're talking a big difference in paydays in my mind between Dante getting the mid-level and slightly under whatever Sacramento would prefer to pay him. Like, I just don't see the risk reward going on here. I have trouble even comprehending what the reward is and how it could be worth it. Uh, I'll even add this, um, like as someone who's covered Buddy Heald for years and, and covered Marvin Bagley from the day he was, he was drafted. You got two unhappy players. But one of them is literally like, like the Bahamian bomber. Like he, like behind the scenes, like he is exactly what you guys see in, in like media availability. Like he's a fun loving, like laid back, chill dude who talks a lot. Um, it, but even if he is causing a problem, he's the hardest worker you're ever going to run into, right? Marvin Bagley. Even if Marvin never caused any problems behind the scenes, his dad caused problems. Marvin never caused problems. Marvin went on one podcast that I remember where he, he said, yeah, I want out of there. Um, 
outside of that, Marvin's biggest issue was he just was always hurt, always. Like, and he wasn't Luca. That those are the two, the two. Well, we'll, we'll add it. He was always hurt. He wasn't Luca, and his dad wouldn't stop talking. Those are your three things, right? Um, so, Divincenzo, and it, like he's going to be a pro's pro, but. Is it just me or does he have like a super sharp edge to him? Like when you're when we're talking to Dante DiVincenzo, like this is one intense dude. Like there's a big difference between having like happy go lucky buddy heel to waking up every morning and tweeting out to thank God for life, you know, like the little like his little thing that he does, his emoji. Thank God for, you know, love, life, whatever. And strength, uh, I think. Yeah, and strength, yeah. Um, so there's a big difference between that and, like, a super intense dude that's not happy. Like, that's a super intense dude. And I, I just want to make sure that, like, like this is such a tough balancing act because we are talking about a player who averages 10 points a game for his career. Actually, it's less than 10 points a game for his career. And so his expectations was he if he does come to a team like the Kings after starting 66 games for the championship bucks last year, it would be that his role, his everything would change, that he would have an expanded view of the world because that's what should happen if you're a player who's kind of like put into one box with a really good team, but you go to a team that's not as good, you should be able to expand at least a little bit, right? And, and go out there and make money. That's kind of what you would do. You would average, you know, 14, 15 points a game, and all of a sudden we're looking at 13, 14. 15 million for Dante DiVincenzo. Uh, that's one of the reasons I think we're we're getting a little bit of kickback from him and his group. They're, they're just looking at it like, like, look, this should have been an opportunity not not to come play off the bench for a 29-win a team. Like, that. that's not—he he was a starter on a championship team, and he's coming off the bench on a 29-win a team. Like, that doesn't— so I get the anger and the angst, um, and I hope that they come to some sort of like logical conclusion with this, where like, he is actually paid for what you think he is actually worth. And you know, again, his agent's going to say MLE money for year forty four. The Kings will probably say for year thirty two, uh, maybe for year thirty six. They they come in the middle and uh, like come up with some some sort of other number that makes sense uh, but I think you're a better team if you have him on the roster like his versatility his passion he's a winner like like he's a leader like there are a lot of things that DiVincenzo brings to the table yeah he brings the energy that you need he cares on defense every single possession it seems like him and Davion Mitchell have a little bit of a two-man chemistry and they get along. I mean, understandably, I think if I had to guess coming into who would get along the most with Dante, I think Davion would have been an easy guess. They seem to have very similar on-court mentalities at very least. Um, two peas and, in a pod. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I also feel like you had an opportunity of like, how often can you say the same team traded for me twice? And if you also just treated him really well when he got here and it's not like you need to coddle him or anything. I think that he had the best case for being the starting two guard on the team. Um, so I, I think you could have done that and 
I personally don't have an issue with the MLE um, for Dante. I obviously would like to go a little bit lower, but I don't really have an issue with the MLE. I think it's understandable. Mm -hmm. And I feel like you had an opportunity to have a player feel very wanted by your franchise. And you kind of dropped the ball there. Um, And maybe I'm reading too much into that because who knows what's going on all behind the scenes with all these conversations and all that when Dante traded to the team twice and that whole situation. But my question for you, James, would be if they go through this offseason and there's kind of the typical reportings of Dante wants more money, the Kings would prefer to pay him less, just typical negotiation conversations in a healthy way. Um, do you think that there's a way that we go into next year and, and Dante's just really happy with the way that this whole thing played out? Or do you think there's going to be a lingering, man, they really tried to mess with me? See, that's a question. And, and uh, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, it really does come down to this, Brennan. What does your team look like at the beginning of next season? And, like, I, I would like to tell Dante DiVincenzo, yeah, man, you're you're going to be our starting two. But there could there's a possibility that he won't be because the Kings went out and got a better starting two. And then what do you do? How do you tell somebody, like, like well, I mean, we got a better player. Like, there's nothing... You know, if he if he's being replaced by, you know, if the Kings bring in Pat Conigan uh, and uh, and what's his name, Grayson and Allen, Grayson Allen, yeah. So if that's who you're competing with, then I I understand Dante Divincenzo looking around and saying like, what the f, you know. And, and if it's Justin Holiday, and it's Jeremy Lamb, like the, those types of levels of players, then I agree, like what are we doing here? Why am I not starting? So I get that. Um, but we could also see Davion Mitchell starting. We could also see, you know, like there are other options here that are going to have to play out. And, uh, and I think the Kings are better having a guy like Dante DiVincenzo on the roster. I think an eight to $10 million valuation is fair for Dante DiVincenzo. I think all of your player comps are spot on because like, again, uh, like KCP, He's a Contavious Caldwell Pope. If the Kings had Contavious Caldwell Pope instead of Buddy Hield this year, they would have been a much better team. They would have won an extra five games that they just, to use Buddy's term, we just tricked off in the first half of the season. Because while Contavious Caldwell Pope is not the volume shooter, uh, three-point shooter that, that Buddy is, he's still about as good a three-point shooter as Buddy is. And he's a much better defender. And he plays within himself. And he knows his role. All of these things, right? I look at some of the other guys. Josh Hart. Like, the Kings would have been a better team with him. You know, if they should have jumped on board when he was available with through Portland, if you could have traded Jeremy Lamb and his expiring contract after you acquired him straight up for, for Hart and taken on the extra couple of years, I think Portland would have done that. And I think you would have been a better team. And then it's like, okay, now I I got two Villanova guys fighting it out for minutes. Who's going to win the the starting job? Who's not? Uh, but I still think that the door is open here for the Kings to go out and make a move that makes you better. Uh, I think Caruso is an interesting comp. Um, like I, I got to be honest, I think Caruso's funner to watch. I think DiVincenzo is a better player. That's just my own opinion. Um, uh, I look at Josh Richardson. 
Um, and I'll point out this, that Josh Rich Richardson has, the reason he makes a lot of money is because there was a point where he was valued so high in the league that uh, the Miami Heat refused to give up, uh, to give him up in a trade that would acquire Jimmy Butler, right? So, so there is this thing that he was at one point worth a ton. The fact that he's bounced around and hasn't really found his place uh, DiVincenzo is a more versatile player than him, but one is a more standardized three and D player. It's just a guy that disappears and, you know, sometimes he makes more money than, than maybe it's worth, uh, than, you know, his skill set doesn't equal the amount of money that he, he makes. Um, so yeah, I, I like your player comps, man. I, I gotta be honest. Like, uh, Marcus Smart, of course, is, is a bit more of a, uh, a shutdown lockdown defender, although he never stays healthy either. Um, the Seth Curry comp, as far as financially, uh, yeah, I mean, I Seth Curry could come play for the Sacramento Kings anytime, and and the the combo I would love to see the combo of Dante DiVincenzo and Seth Curry at the two, because then you at least have one guy who does a bunch of things and one guy who does one specific thing at just an elite level and, and is really good at it. Um, yeah. Well, and, and where are you at with the aspect of Dante's 25? And this year was just about rehabbing for him. When, if you look at like after the end of last season, again, 66 games, he started every single one that he played for the team that eventually won the championship, averaged 10 points, just under six boards, three assists, 37% from three. And if he were healthy, gone through that entire season, and then also had an off season to build on his game. I guess my entire question here is like, how much do we have to factor in that Dante's 25 and still could get better? You know, like yeah. the Lakers, this is a, this is a different player archetype, but Taylor Horton Tucker, somebody they believe in the future in just got 10 million a year. He got three years, 30 million. Um, you know, again, different player archetype, but there's an aspect of like believing in potential there that I wonder how much is that going to factor in with Dante? Well, I would respond with this. Um, we saw at the trade deadline that the Lakers tried to trade Taylor Horton Tucker, and his contract was viewed as a negative because no one thought he was going to be as good at it as his contract. So sometimes you get into, and, and I think that that might be partially what the Kings are looking at. Like, if you do bring in Dante DiVincenzo at 10, uh, it, it, well, basically the average of $11 million a year, the MLE, right? A four-year 44. Is he tradable? Is is he marketable? If you bring in Rashawn Holmes at that dollar amount, let's take away all the off-court stuff and, and just a really bad year, but like Rashawn Holmes, we all looked at as like one of the biggest steals in free agency, right? Everyone did on the outside, on the inside. Everyone looked at it like, holy cow, how did they get... Rashawn Holmes for four years, $47 million. The fact is, the Kings should be able, even with off-court stuff, even with him playing minimal all season, they should be able to trade him with no problems this offseason. So you have, that is, I think, where I look at contracts. Like, if you get Dante DiVincenzo for the, for the mid-level or around mid-level money, right, is, is he tradable? Is, is he a player that other teams would go, okay, for that value, I'm going to take him? And I think the answer is maybe. And and that's when you're dealing with asset management, that's the big question. And I think that there would be teams that like him. 
but you're going to have to take back another $10 million player that they got on an MLE that they didn't like or didn't work out or whatever. So, I mean, I think that there is some some question mark about, like, when you are building a team, even if you're the Sacramento Kings and you have to pay more. The fact is you don't have to pay more when you have a restricted free agent. You have to pay the going rate. And so if he goes out and he gets the, the mid-level from someone, then you match. Like, I think that that's the, the dollar amount. If someone comes in at $13 million and and gives them a, a, three, a four-year 52, I think you back away if you're the Kings. And that's not because I don't think that he doesn't have the potential to get to that. It's that I know that you're risking. You're doing a Taylor Horton-Tucker deal where all of a sudden you're like, uh-oh, what do we do here? We, we signed this guy to a deal that was more than what we should have. And now you can't get, you can't move off of him if you need to. If, you know, again, if Dante DiVincenzo is your fourth guard, that's a lot of money to spend on a fourth guard. I mean, the Kings are spending $4 million on Terrence Davis. I mean, that's, that's a good bargain if he, if he plays and he's healthy and he like has the impact that we think that he can. Um, But that's, that's kind of like the, the tough thing. And what you bring up that he's 25, I, I think that there is plenty of room for growth. But I still think that the way that DiVincenzo plays, his skill set leads you to believe that even on the Sacramento Kings, he is a fifth starter. He's the fifth option in the starting lineup. And that's okay, right? If he is going to be a starter, that means that you need a really, really good scoring four. You need You have to build this roster the right way. And so I think DiVincenzo especially his ability to cut, it, his ability to shoot, uh, to play off the ball and actually, you know, the catch and shoot three that we talk about. All of those things are huge values that he can bring. His defense is a huge value, his steals, his ability to be a secondary playmaker or third playmaker on the court. All of those things are really, really good. And I think there is a way that he could fit. But the way that he fits is if you have De'Aaron Fox, Harrison Barnes, DeMontis Sabonis and John Collins. That's how he fits. Where he doesn't fit is if you have Trey Lyles or or Chemezi Metu at your power forward position. Because then you're just really, I, I don't think you have enough punch. You don't have enough options. You don't have enough ways to draw attention away from De'Aaron Fox so he can do his thing. Yeah. That, so I think it's, it's a more complex than he's 25 and he can grow into something. Totally. And I'll say that um, the idea of like him being a fifth starter kind of as his reasonable ceiling, which I agree with, I do think that's still really important. Like the Kings only have three starters. You know, they don't yeah. have even a guy that's a fourth starter, really. Like you're playing guys that aren't starters and, and asking them to step into that role. Like having a fifth starter, a guy that's able to do that is still really important. And there's a chance that he's, a guy that comes off the bench, which I still think would be valuable. I think even if mm-hmm. you did upgrade at the two, like I don't hate the idea of going a little bit smaller and putting HB at the four with DeMontis Sabonis at the five. And then Dante can be either the two or the three or whichever guy you bring in can kind of fill the two, three spot. Um, so I, I think that there's ways to play with it. But to me, there's a lot of guys on the team where even their ceiling, I'm like, I'm not sure that you're a starter. You know, so 
Um, while fifth starter isn't that valuable league wide, I still think it is important for this Kings roster construction because you're a team that I don't know how patient you can be like waiting around for another guy. If, if he walks, then you need another fifth starter. And no, I, I agree. That's where yeah. it gets tough. You know, there is a number you have to walk away at some point, but, and you only gave up Marvin Bagley to get him. I, I understand that, but yeah. the, it would just be another hole that you have to fill because you don't already have somebody in my mind, like waiting. Like, I don't know that Terrence Davis fills that spot. Maybe he does and, and performs better than I'm expecting. But if DiVincenzo walks, it's just another hole that you have to fill when you're expecting to be a good team next year. Yep. Okay. So I'm going to do a a strange exercise really quickly. Starter or non-starter KCP starter, Josh Hart, Starter. Josh Richardson. Not starter. Bubble. Okay. Uh, Danny Green, historically. Starter. Starter. Uh, Caruso, not a starter. Um, Seth Curry. Becoming a starter, pretty much. Has become a starter. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, what is he, 29 at this point? I don't even know how old Seth Curry is. I I probably have him pulled up so I can look. 31. Um, 31. Okay. Wow. Yeah. yeah. People forget that, you know, he was in Sacramento and, you know, the whole George Carl situation. Um, yeah. So, um, and of course, Marcus Smart, starter. Uh, the reason I bring that up is because most of those players we know right away are starters. And, like, if they were on the Kings, would they start over him? And that's a question. And I think that basically you're looking at, like, even at that range, I don't think any of those guys outside of maybe Marcus Smart are a 32-minute-plus starter, right? Do you think if we did this last year going into the postseason that we would have easily called Dante a starter, though? Yeah, probably. That's a good point. I, I, you know, and I asked him very specifically what the ankle injury was, and he fully detached a tendon in his ankle, um, which I don't think was a, um, it wasn't like a grade three ankle sprain where you have a full tear through of the, the, the ligament. He actually detached a tendon from the bone and that's what took so long. And then he had a setback and, um, but now he looks like he has all of his bounce back. My goodness. He, he's such a good rebounder. Uh, okay, so uh, that is our discussion on Dante DiVincenzo. I think it's incredibly important because this is going to be a major piece to the Sacramento Kings offseason. I, I would say that like he is probably the most pivotal piece to their offseason right now because if you look at the rest, I mean, trading, trading uh, Rashawn Holmes is, is huge for this team. Um, figuring out what you're going to do with a guy like Damian Jones really, you know, doesn't really move the needle that much. Like he, he's played really well down the stretch, but again, there are a lot of players like him in the league that can do what he does. And, and if you do have him back, it's on a reasonable, like two year, 4 million, two year, 5 million, well, probably two year, $5 million deal. It's not something that's going to break the bank or anything, but he still has proven to be a really solid, solid addition. I think DiVincenzo is that one piece that you're looking at this offseason like, what exactly are they going to do? And and I'll also bring this up. Just the way the salary cap is, 
having a guy on a $6.6 million uh, qualifying offer versus a guy at a $7.9 million qualifying offer, that does actually make a difference. That $1.3 million does make a difference when you're going into free agency and you might want to, you know, go and sign somebody. Um, So we'll have to see how it all plays out in the end. Um, But I think, let's just, quick, uh, Dante DiVincenzo, Sacramento King next season? Yes. I agree. Yes. They like him too much. I think they can, hopefully they can smooth over some of this situation. I get so lost with they like him too much because if they do, then show it like they have. But then why do all these extracurriculars? It's, yeah. I'm saying yes. I think he gets the MLE. Okay. Uh, I'm going to say yes, and they're going to try for, I I think he'll come in at, I'm going to say four-year 36, which is still good money. Still yeah. making nine million, and in California you lose half of it. You're still making four and a half million. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, uh, let's transition to our our second topic. Of course, we had a pod on Wednesday this week uh, because of the travel schedule and everything. Getting back from New Orleans, um, and so we're having a pod on Friday. So Wednesday and Friday we'll go back to Tuesday, Thursday next week, which is our normal sort of schedule. Uh, but it is important that we talk about the reason why we focus so heavily on guys like Dante DiVincenzo, because this is a lot more like what our our uh, postseason podcast will look like. And the Kings haven't played a game since Tuesday. So we got Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Uh, they play back-to-backs to finish out the season with the Los Angeles Clippers and the Phoenix Suns. Um so we've got a bunch of ground to cover that's going, you know, that's going to start hitting next week. Um, as far as like once we get past, um, you know, sort of the regular season and all that stuff, we're going to dive heavily into players like this. We're going to dive heavily into the coaching search, which uh, will probably kick off Monday or Tuesday. Um, we're going to dive heavily into the NBA draft and, and all of free agency and all this stuff. Uh, so I think this is a good sort of jumping off point because we have this lull in the schedule leading up to the final couple of games of the season. Um, then uh, we should just, like, the other topic that we have today is that uh, James took Vivek Ranadive and shoved him through a wood chipper on Wednesday uh, on Thursday. Uh, so if you missed that, uh, I, what was my uh, Sacramento Kings and Vivek Ranadive are winning at losing. Uh, that was the title of my piece. And uh, Brennan, did you have a chance to read it? I did, James. I thought it was tough, but very fair. Um, you know, the Vivek's had more years than the Maloofs of losing seasons at this point. And yeah, it's I wasn't nine around. Seven. Yeah, I wasn't around to experience the Maloofs, but man, all the stories are not very, not very kind. Um, we'll go with that. And I think that at some point, you know, we talk about all the turnover that we've seen. The consistent thing has been ownership, so it's hard to not point there. Okay, so I'm going to explain something very quickly about the Maloofs. Um, when the times were good. The Maloofs were phenomenal. Everyone around them loved working for them. Um, I know that, uh, like, 
two of my longtime broadcasting friends, uh, there was some concern that at that point there wasn't a retirement set up for broadcasters. The Maloofs went out of their own pocket and set up major retirement funds for both of them, and probably more like three of them, maybe four of them, but two main guys. Uh, the Maloofs were, were really good bosses, and then they ran out of money. So I think what we, we feel now towards the Maloofs is, you know, uh, in Sacramento, uh, you know, it's, it's a bad word, the Maloofs, the Maloof family name. They soiled their family name. Um, and that's because they tried to relocate the team twice, three times, four times, whatever. Virginia, we can throw in Virginia Beach and like all of these stupid little ones. But um, they never fully committed to the city. And if they, they would have had an arena built, and I think it was 2006, let me see, 2003 or 2006, there was uh, a measure, a measure Q&R, I believe, that was going to go through and push through a quarter percent sales tax that would have put $800 million to build a new stadium in downtown Sacramento in the rail yards. Um, the stadium the Kings built right now is, uh, I think it cost like almost $600 million. So if you can imagine what that stadium would have looked like back then, they, they would have got a palace. And uh, at the last second... Uh, Joe Maloof walked up to the stage. He had uh, talking points to to help push this thing through. He got up on the stage and he reached into his pocket and pulled out a different set of talking points and tanked the deal and screwed over the city of Sacramento and all the people that worked so hard on Q&R that would have got him his quarter percent sales tax increase and would have got him his new arena. Um, so, so the Maloofs, like, again, they're a bad name in Sacramento. Uh, they're a bad word in Sacramento. And in my first couple of years covering the team, while they owned the team, it was brutal because I had to cover relocation. And uh, like I, I did Small Market Big Heart. I, I did an entire documentary film on the situation. Um, but on top of that, they ran the lowest payroll in the league. It wasn't even close. I mean, one year they traded for Marquise Daniels to get to the salary floor. Uh, one year they traded for Sam Cassell to get to the salary floor. One year they traded for... Jason Terry and then waived him. All of these, none of these players ever played a game for the Sacramento Kings just to get to the salary floor. And even at that time, the league had a way where you could trade a player and pay for their salary. And, and then the, the league eventually put a cap on how much money you could, you could pay in a deal. But during that time, that's not, there was no cap. So, so the Kings would say they traded Francisco Garcia to the Houston Rockets and gave up a bunch of stuff, whatever. The The contract was paid for by someone else. Or, or when the Kings took back a player, the contract was always paid for. So they had a contract going out, and the Kings would get to the salary floor in, in like, basically, uh, in on paper, but they hadn't paid the salary. So there was actually big swath some money that these guys were actually just not only were they only putting up a 58 million dollar payroll which was a league minimum or a 52 million dollar payroll at the time but they were also like four to six eight million of that was paid for by somebody else because they took players and trade and that team paid their salaries for the entire year so um like they ran out of money and they became bad owners because they ran out of money now i'll say this too 
like, and I wrote it in there, like, Vivek Ranadive doesn't have to sell the team. He doesn't have to sell the team. He doesn't have to, um, like, get kicked out as, like, the head honcho of the Sacramento Kings. In my opinion, he just has to take a different approach. He has to step back. Like, nine losing seasons, it, it's not even close. Like, it, it's bad basketball the whole time. Like, and and so much of it is directly on him. Like, we talk about him being a meddlesome owner. It It's popped up every season. It's not like it happened once where the Michael Malone situation happened and then he fired Michael Malone and, you know, there's this huge discussion discussion on whose fault it actually was, whether they, you know, again, like that whole situation is a mess. But Vivek Ranadive in the end is the one who fired Michael Malone. Uh, Vivek Ranadive is the one who said that you have to come into this season with Luke Walton as your head coach, or he at least he did last season. He did last season said, hey, you have to come into the season with Luke Walton as your head coach. Um, and then, you know, like there are all of these situations that are almost identical that he keeps doing. And so my point isn't to like fillet him. It's to, it's to point out that like during his nine seasons, the Kings are 20, 279 and 437. They have a 39, uh, a 390 win percentage. They miss the playoffs every year. Uh, we will have almost assuredly our seventh head coach, like going into year 10 of him. And at some point, you just have to let basketball people do basketball things. And Vivek has been extremely successful at so many things in life. He's made, you know, he, he got his, his business worth well over a billion dollars before he sold. I mean, like this guy has, re he's worth, I think the estimation is like $700 million. And I think that that might even be low. And he's trying to get in on the Chelsea deal. He's still part of one of the Chelsea deals. And he could be a minority owner in, in Chelsea FC. Like He's an extremely successful guy. But as a basketball owner, it hasn't gone well. And and like at some point, you have to take a step back and just be a fan. And, and just be the guy who sits at half court and hopefully watches good basketball because you allowed basketball people to do basketball things. And that's more my point. It's that... Like, I think everyone has had enough. Like, it, it's enough. Like, and he's done so much good. People who don't think he's done good, you're just absolutely blinded by your hatred. But, like, this is a guy who built the, the arena. He built the Doco. Like, a, a lot of that money came out of his pocket. The Sawyer Hotel is sitting right there. Like, all of that beautiful property down in downtown, he's revitalized that entire area. He's made that, like, worthwhile to go and see. But, but, there's always going to be a but. At some point, you have to take a step back and say, maybe I'm my input is not helping this situation. Maybe the fact that everyone in the league knows that I wanted Doug Christie to be the head coach at 17 games into his coaching career, uh, and Alvin Gentry got the job, but now you got every coach in the league going, hey, like... I I might kick the tires on that job, but what's going on with Doug Christie, who your owner wants? Those are things that just can't keep going. It can't keep going like this. And I don't know how else to say it except for, like, do your thing, but, like, at some point, take a step back and, and, and let the people you hired to make these decisions make these decisions.
Yeah, I think that we've definitely seen that. I think it's interesting to me of like what will be the turning point that causes that. Could it be just what you've said of there's been enough times of this isn't working, do it differently, like stop being so involved with decision making? Or is it like, you know, it felt like New York was in a situation where James Dolan was stepping back because they were successful last year. Um, And maybe that's what it takes is you let Monty make a decision and maybe it's a battle and then that decision goes really well. So then you have more trust in him and then that's what causes you to take a step back. It's interesting to me what kind of this turning point is going to be, but it has to happen at some point here because even beyond maybe Vivek's decision-making when it comes to basketball hasn't been the greatest. There's even just a further um, aspect of when your, your manager has a vision and your front office has a vision that needs to all be on the same page. The, the coaching staff needs to be on the same page with this, and they're going to go out and hire a coach that has similar philosophies as them and get the right players that fit what they're trying to do. And if they're instead forced to insert different coaches or players that don't fit quite what their vision is and have to alter it because of that, it just adds even more complication of, yeah, there's there's uh, definitely a lot going on. I, I, and to his credit, I think this is literally what you said in the piece. He's sitting courtside. What was your wording? Watching the car crash every single night? Something like yeah, that. Watch, yeah, watching the a, a, a vehicle accident. Yeah, like it's a it's a car wreck. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he is sitting there, and it. Trust me, he hears people yelling. There's no question he has he hears people yelling, and, and I'd even say like, there's probably a mechanism in place if the booze start raining down or chance started raining down with his name involved, where there might be music or something that that drowned out that noise. Because he's the owner and he's the guy who's invested so much. And look, I don't think he's a bad dude. And the you brought up uh, Dolan, right? Like, there are bad owners. But they're also, like, some of these guys are, are bad people. Like, that have been led into the league who do things that are, you know, your Donald Sterling's. But also, like, the culture that you've seen from guys like Robert Sarver. Uh, the situation with Dolan, again. Um, like these guys aren't necessarily good dudes and that's, I I don't put Vivek in that category. Like you can disagree with his political stance, like his, uh, his wokeness. Uh, someone tweeted at me, oh, you know, the wokeness. And it's like, okay, I'm going to guess that like at the end of the day, like they're like Vivek isn't going to be too far off the right side of history on some of these things that he's done like but at the same time it's got to be more than about that it it has to be about at some point if you're part of the reason why you can't win then you have to accept the fact that that you might not be great at what you're doing and you need to take a step back and uh, again I, I hope they figure it out uh i think that the um the Sabonis trade to me was a huge win for Monty McNair. Um, like, and you, people could argue that with me all day long about what you got there. But I, I mean, I'm still going to tell you they got a two year, I mean, a, a 25 year old two-time all-star under contract for two more years. 
and uh, and I'm willing to see what he looks like for the next couple of years as well as I was willing to see what um, like Tyrese Halliburton looked like. But that's a big swing for the fence where you added a two-time All-Star. And this team hasn't had an All-Star since DeMarcus Cousins. And before that, it wasn't... The last All-Stars they had was in like 2003 with Brad Miller and Peja Stojakovic. That's 19 years. Like, and you had a couple of All-Star games with, with DeMarcus Cousins. But like three, two or three All-Star appearances in 19 years? Like you need an All-Star if you're in the NBA. Teams, every great team right now has an all-star. Like, that's that's the way the league is built. So you went out and got one. Um, I also think that uh, that the Alvin Gentry situation uh, was another victory for, uh, for Monty McNair. Like, you won in that situation where you were able to do realistically what was the right thing for your franchise and have a guy that, you know, is a veteran hand that can walk you through the rest of the season. Um, but, like, even last season, I'll tell you, like, every rumor I heard coming out of, well, I want to say every rumor, every bit of information that I had coming out of uh, of the team was that it was Vivek Ranadive's choice to sign Hassan Whiteside. And, like, again, if you look at the stats... Hassan Whiteside is a beautiful NBA player coming into last season. I mean, he he was spectacular the year before, just the stats. But if that's how we judge basketball, then you win 31 games. Like, if you're just looking at the stats, you're not looking at how they would fit. You're not looking at their style of play. You're not looking at any of the other things that actually make sense on a basketball court. And that's what it kind of feels like. That kind of feels like it is... Even though you got him on the cheap, and even though you, you could have waived a midseason, whatever, um, it still is representative of the problem that a player like that doesn't have any business being on a team built to run and sprint. Like it just uh, he doesn't. And so um, again, I, I hope that they figure it out. I you know that's been like the biggest thing for me over my twelve years. Like, can you just figure it out? I mean. I covered the Maloofs for three years. I'm nine years into Vivek. We haven't got to speak to Vivek for like two or three years. The only time we got to speak to him last year was at the Jerry Reynolds, uh, when they named the media entrance after Jerry Reynolds. That's the only time we got to speak to Vivek. Like, they've pulled him away. They, they're not allowing him to have these conversations that they used to. And when they do, those conversations are like, uh, they're just not real. They're not like, a true interview where you're getting hard hitting questions and someone has to answer for what's happened. So, yeah, I, I think it's an interesting situation. I maybe don't have as much of, I'm more skeptical, I think of Monty than maybe you are. Um, but it's also when it comes to ownership being involved, it's hard to gauge what is Monty and what is being, what is he being told to do by ownership as kind of your, laying out a little bit and um it's interesting um i think the domas thing can the domas for tyrese trade can look good as long as you do more on top of it and yeah figuring it out is it's also like you say in your piece this is a crucial pivotal moment for the sacramento kings this offseason because you're putting everything into next season and if you have another year of really being disappointing then 
more questions are going to arise when it comes to De'Aaron Fox and Demonis Bonus's future. And what else are you working with at that point? You don't have a young talent that you have under team control for six years like you would with Tyrese Halliburton. Even if I do think DeMontis Sabonis is the better player and I understand the logic there, it's just that it has to pay off and you need to add more. And you have a lot of improvement to do. Your goal is to play in, which, well, your goal is the postseason. The play in, the play in should not be a goal for an NBA team. (laughs) I guess is how I feel. Um, you need to make the postseason and there's a lot of ground to make up in that time. And there's a lot of competition around the NBA. You know, the, the Western conference is pretty deep and it's easy to look at some of these teams. Like the Lakers are right near the Kings. It's easy to see how they become a better team next year. Portland trailblazers are going to get back Damian Lillard and we'll see how they change up. Like it's easy to see how the teams that the Kings are rubbing shoulders with also have paths to improvement. So you're kind of, it's, it's a tough fight, but I think it's certainly possible and has to happen next season. Yeah. uh, And that is the point. Like this is the all important season and and I'll, I'll kind of wrap it up with this. Monty McNair should be able to hire the coach that he wants period. He's the general manager. He needs to hire the coach that he thinks gives his team the best opportunity to win. He cannot hire a coach. And then if we're not looking at this, the end of this season as a 42 win season or a 45 win season, you cannot fire your general manager again and have a new head coach with a four-year deal and three years left on it, and you got to go hire another general manager who now has to take on another coach. What we can't do is see the same exact thing again and again and again. Michael Malone hired before Pete D'Alessandro. Pete D'Alessandro did not like Michael Malone, poisoned the water, God forbid to fire Michael Malone. Michael Malone still had two years left on his deal. Bring in Tyrone Corbin. That doesn't work out. Pete D'Alessandro gave Tyrone Corbin a two-year deal. Now you're paying two coaches the next year. They let Tyrone Corbin go. In the same season, they hired George Carl. Give him a four-year deal. The little part of the season and then three more years. So you walked into that Vivek's third season as owner of this team, paying Michael Malone, Tyrone Corbin, and... George Carl, who's coaching the team. George Carl should have been fired, couldn't be fired the whole season because you still owed him two more years. By the end of that season, it was a train wreck, completely became basketball hell. No one wants to be here at all. George Carl does get fired. You bring in Dave Yeager. You literally, in that first season, are paying Michael Malone, George Carl, Dave Yeager. Like, you can't keep doing the same thing where you bring in a GM. You hire George, you you let Pete D'Alessandro hire George Carl, and then you fire Pete D'Alessandro a month or two later, or he he leaves, but trust me, that was happening. He leaves, and now you got Vladi Divac who's stuck with George Carl for for years, like a, a three year deal. They of course paid out the final two years. They they just had to pay George. 
Like they, I think they owed him $10 million in the final two years. So while you're paying Dave Yeager's salary, you're also paying his. We still got one more year left on Luke Walton's salary. At least one. Yeah, just one. Just one more year left on Luke Walton's salary for next season. So the Kings will walk into next season paying Luke Walton over $6 million. And whatever coach that they're going to pay. Like, you just can't keep doing this. It's just not good for business at all. It's not good for your minority owners who keep getting cash called. It's not good for anybody. It's it's bad business. It's not conducive to winning. It's a bad culture. Like, we talked about Will Z stat, 24 assistant coaches, um, in Harrison Barnes, three and a half years. That's your instability. Your instability is firing Pete Youngman, one of the, the great trainers in the league, and his entire staff, who have nothing but PhDs. They Not only are they good trainers, but they continued their education and became great at everything that they did. You wipe them out for no reason, just because. The How much of the culture of the Sacramento Kings do you think is wrapped up into Pete Youngman? A tremendous amount. It's why you still see him everywhere, why he is revered in Sacramento. And all of his guys, same exact thing. Like, their strength and conditioning coach, just so people know, Ramsey just won the national championship with Kansas as their lead trainer. Uh, I think he's good at his job, but she had to get rid of him for no reason. For no reason. And so these are the decisions. If you want to have a good culture, build the culture the right way and get out of the way. Let the people who can build a culture. And if you don't have the right people that can build a culture, find people that can build a culture that have done it before, that have shown you the path. And so that's, you know, again, I hope it works out. I hope I'm not covering a 13th season of holy disaster. That really is one of the darkest, like if the outcome of this, this next season is horrible, it's, you could hit five more years of a futility here. I mean, this could be an all-out disaster, and, and it already is a disaster. How do you say it can be a disaster when you're 16 years in to no playoffs? It's just sorry. So that's James's rant. Sorry if I uh, if I if I get like slightly uh, passionate about this, but. You know, again, like how many people's how many people have lost their jobs because of the inept, ineptitude of this franchise? I, and I'm telling you, it's a lot more than you think. It is. It's a lot more than you think. So, um, try you got, you, and be optimistic in a way. Of, well, I'm always optimistic. True. True. <laughs> you have to be. Um, things change quick. A lot needs to change, and obviously we recognize that and, and talk about that, but things do change really quick in the NBA. If you get it right, things turn around very quickly. Like People like to talk about the Phoenix Suns, um, and I started to get a little tired of that. I'm like, they're the outlier, but look at the Chicago Bulls, the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, if you want to throw Memphis in there, Minnesota's turned it around. Like, there's Charlotte a lot Hornets. of examples. Yes, teams turn it around quickly. If yeah. you get it right, say that you – um, do make a big trade this offseason, or even the guy that you pick if you stay at six or seven, or seven it is, if you stay at seven and that guy hits, could change the entire trajectory of your franchise and all of a sudden things look good. If you get a, a coach from, say, another staff 
that's an assistant that people didn't realize how good he was going to be when he became a head coach. That could change everything. Like, there's a lot of reasons to be skeptical, understandably so. Historic incompetence, really, from the Sacramento Kings organization. 16 years now, but where I find my optimism is things change quickly in the NBA. And I'm just hoping that happens. They do. Yeah. And, you know, like when I was uh, looking at the DiVincenzo uh, situation, right, I'll just point this out too. And it's something that I I found totally interesting because I was looking at, okay, you know, I was looking into the the starter criteria issue. Uh, That draft, of course, is is DeAndre Ayton, Marvin Bagley, Luka Doncic, uh, Jaron Jackson Jr., Trey Young. And then we go to Mo Bombo, Wendell Carter, Colin Sexton. Uh, you have the biggest swing in the miss at number nine is Kevin Knox. Mikhail Bridges is number 10. Shea Gilgis Alexander is number 11. Miles Bridges is number 12. Number 14 is Michael Porter Jr. Um, there are players. Number 19 is Kevin Hort- uh, Herter. Uh, even number 20 is Josh Akogi, who who has had moments in the NBA. Um, Anthony Simons is number 24. Uh, like there are all kinds. Robert Williams, uh, is, is a 27th pick in the draft, which tends to be one of the greatest picks in the history of the NBA. I don't know why the 27th pick is, is one that, that hits all the time, but look, there are a lot of ways to improve your team. And I know a lot of people are frustrated. The Kings won some games on the stretch. I told you in the beginning, Portland was always going to be better at losing than the Kings. They were going to lose more games. That's what they, they stripped it down to nothing and they decided to lose. And so like the Kings are where they are, but that that doesn't mean that you can't find a Tyrese Halliburton at number 12 that allows you to trade for a two-time all-star. I mean, there there's possibilities. So there there's always optimism. There's always ways that you can get out of this, but the biggest way to do it is I think to have some people uh, get out of the way and let basketball people do the basketball things. Um, man, we're running way late, um, but we can't end a show without the business of basketball. Brendan, it has yeah. got, it's gotta be, it's gotta be somewhat quick business of basketball question. Um, you're Monty McNair and you're, what is the, the first thing you do in this offseason, what is the move that you make that you think changes everything? And I mean, it's got to be within reason. Like, I'm not like, you're not going to go get like Kevin Durant and like, like Giannis Antetokounmpo. And like, what would be the first, your first thing that you would do? What, or what would be the swing for the fence that would make this offseason? Uh, like build confidence and, and uh, build optimism moving forward. I mean, I think there's always going to be names with trades, obviously, but I'll take a little bit of a different approach is right away. I'm starting my coaching search and I'm making it an entire process because if you nail that, that is a huge difference for this team. That's the way that you don't see, a guy like um, Terrence Davis or even Buddy Heald earlier in his career, those guys, their talent levels, maybe not producing, producing less than they possibly could. Instead, they start to overperform when they're put in ideal situations. 
Um, so I, I think nailing a coaching pick would just do absolute wonders for this team. Um, there are obviously trade candidates. Like I think the other obvious thing is I'm seeing what Rashawn Holmes value looks like. Is there still any world where you're able to get a PJ Washington if you include like a second round pick? Um, so I think that to me, those are kind of the first things. And then it almost feels like you have to wait for talks of somebody being unhappy, somebody wanting a change of scenery and then capitalizing on that at that point. Like if obviously Donovan Mitchell is an absolute dream, like I'd give anything for, I'd give two firsts and a swap for Donovan Mitchell. Um, but to me, to take a little bit of a different approach rather than just throw out trade names, I think the mo- one of the most important things is really making sure that you hit on the coaching change. That's, uh, you know, that's probably the most important thing of the offseason. And it's got to be, it just has to be the right guy. Like, and, and I don't know who that guy is at this point. I think that there's going to be a lot of conversations. Um, I've had guys in the past that were like sort of my leading candidate coming into the thing. But, uh, you know, like I, I really, really liked Nate McMillan as uh, a potential head coach for this team before uh, before Dave Yeager became available. Um, that was the one that kind of stood out to like, man, McMillan wasn't in retread. He, he had had his time in Portland, but had never been given another opportunity or maybe he didn't want another opportunity. And then, and then he showed up and like did, well, what he was in Indiana and then, uh, and then that didn't work out. And then he went to Atlanta and that worked out well for the first year. I I don't know. I I think you're right there. I I think the biggest thing is you got to nail the coaching search and, and I do want, I know some people don't agree with me here. I want Sabonis' uh, input. I want Fox's input. I want Harrison Barnes' input if he's going to be here in Sacramento. Um, I, I would talk to Dante DiVincenzo about a guy like Darvin Ham um, and say, like, what do you think of him? Like, how would he impact this team? Can he be a guy that's a difference maker? Um, I would spread, you know, like what you're saying, do, do an exhaustive search. Uh but also be aggressive because there are going to be quite a few really good teams that are on the market for, for coaches as well. I mean, we're hearing that it's possible that Utah, it's possible that Philadelphia, clearly the Lakers, clearly the Knicks. Um, and, and I bring up those teams, not because I think you're going to get Doc Rivers or you're going to get Quinn Snyder, who to me is a, again, a dream. Uh, you're not going to get, you know, if you could possibly get a Frank Vogel. You're probably not going after a Thibodeau, but the, the key is that all four of those teams are much better teams than the Kings are, well, except for the Lakers, who aren't much better. They're, they're two games better, um, but they're also better opportunities than the Kings. And so if you're going to nail this, you got to get on it quick. Again, Kenny Atkinson, uh, you know, what's it? like all of the assistants for the Golden State Warriors who have worked with Steve Kerr, uh, like they're, they're going to be coaches that are going to come available here uh, and there are also assistants that are already available that you can go out and get and they can be franchise changing and then you, you kind of you got to figure out what happens from there and so i'm with you there um my swing for the fence is still you know go get john collins like again if donovan mitchell becomes available and if they're interested in a swap that doesn't include sabonis or or fox 
Um, and you can give up picks and, and players, but you know, really picks, um, then I would be all on board, but I don't think Utah takes that step backwards. Uh, I think they try something different with their, uh, just in general. I, I, but yeah, I, I think that there are some avenues here to improve this team and you got to be aggressive and you got to swing for the fences and you got to do more of what we saw at the trade deadline, which is like, you got to hit another home run. You know, this team needs another home run. Um, all right, Brendan, uh, do you have any final thoughts? That I'm going to be a shade darker on the next episode. About to go tan after this episode, James. This is my little mini vacation here in SoCal. Interesting. You know, I'm Portuguese. For those out there, have we been over this? My last name is Portuguese. Uh, I didn't know you're. I didn't know you're Portuguese. Well, this is the thing: is that Portuguese not because my dad is adopted? So I have a Portuguese last name, but I'm not actually oh. Portuguese. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Well, I am uh, a quarter Czechoslovakian. Uh, my grandfather was full Czech. My mom is half Czech. Probably a little bit more than that. Um, and so I don't tan. I just burn. I burn and I burn and I burn. And then I have to worry about things like skin cancer and stuff like that because I am. Uh, my last name is is more German than anything else. But uh, yeah, I, yeah, I definitely burn. Yeah, yeah. So, I'm looking forward to the sun. I'm excited that you're you're going to get some sun. Um, I'm looking at the lake, and uh, we're almost to lake time. I can't wait to get the boats out and and be on the lake all summer long, uh, hiding from the sun, uh, but on the water and and enjoying that. So, all right, uh, we got two games left in Sacramento Kings season. Uh, so we've put in. We've put in 80. Uh, we've also, um, our next episode, just so people know, will be number 50. Number 50. The Kings beat turns 50. Uh, so I, I think that that's, uh, it's a big one, and it will be probably a very, very interesting podcast because I think that there's going to be a lot of things that happen. Uh, but I'll also keep in mind that Tuesday might be a little bit late because um, I think we have media sessions set up for Monday and Tuesday with the Kings, and uh, we're going to have a bunch of stuff to go over, I believe. So uh, it should be an interesting time here. Um, Sacramento Kings are entering the most important offseason probably in their last, I don't know, 16 years, 17 years, 18 years, something like that. Uh, this is a big one. It's a big one. So, um, all right. So just to cover our bases, uh, give us a thumbs up, subscribe. Uh, jump on board with the King's Beat. Get a premium subscription. Uh, it's slightly more than one gallon of gas. Uh, and so, you know, if you're going to pay $7, $6 for a gallon of gas, you might as well pay $7 a month for the King's Beat. Uh, because, you know, that gallon of gas is only going to get you, like, between 15 and, like, 30 miles, depending on what car you have. Um, At some so point, gas well is going to cost more. It will cost <laughs> more. It will cost more. I, I, that's not a good thing, Brett. It's not a good thing. Um, no, it's not. So, all right. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the King's Beat Podcast. For Brendan Nunez from the King's Herald and the King's Pulse Podcast, I am James Ham, your insider for ESPN 1320 and the King's Beat. We will see you on Tuesday.
The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com